All right, thrilled that you're here. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke 14. That's where we're going to be, Luke 14. Uh, fun passage of Scripture. If you're new here, what that just showed you was we're in a, a second week of an emphasis called Love Your Neighbor, and it's basically what Jesus said is the second greatest command. Actually, he connects the first command and the second command together. And he says, I want you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And from the overflow of that, I want you to love your neighbors yourself, all right? And so what we're doing is there's a lot of congregational emphasis or everything from, I think the kids are writing a bunch of thank you notes to first responders uh, around the three counties that we have churches in. We'll put those in some bags and gift cards and be delivering those in the week or so ahead to Thursday night. Uh, I don't know how many F's we could actually put in there, family, fun, fest, free food festival, whatever. It's this Thursday at the Asheville Mall where we're trying to open the doors and show a lot of gospel-centered hospitality to our, uh, to our city. And then also there's a thousand high-needs children, elementary school children, that I need us to sponsor for $150. You can provide like tons of stuff for them as they get through the winter and as we build relationships with them to do uh, further things. So anyway, all that stuff can be found at BillmoreChurch.com backslash love, all right, all the times, all the ways you can participate in that. And so it's a lot of congregational stuff, but it boils down to you, okay? It boils down to you. As a matter of fact, put that first slide up there, if you would, uh, the one with the little houses. This is what we looked at last week. It's like individually, uh, this is you. Now, you might not have a house. You might have an apartment, a townhouse, whatever, uh, but you live uh, around some other people. Now, they might be like a foot from your front door. They might be three acres from your front door, but, but you live, you have people somewhere uh, physically around you, all right? Uh, so our first neighbor is, all right, physically the people who live close to us. We're like, we're going to pray for them. We want to minister to them. We want to know their name. And then obviously, as you expand out, your neighbor's not just who physically lives by you, but sometimes it's the guy at school, it's the person at work, it's uh, maybe a brother or somebody in your family. So individually, what we're looking at is we do gather, like the video said, we gather here together uh, to be, it's like a huddle in football, all right? We gather here, we look at the plays, we get some instruction, and then during the week, we run the play. All right, that's loving your neighbor as yourself, and it overflows from the mercy God's shown us, so we show other people mercy. All right. It might not shock you that I, uh, I haven't seen a lot of musicals in my time, all right? So raise your hand if you're like a musical person. You like music, okay, not, nah, I'm not saying you like, you. all right, so like some of you are like, I don't understand the question. Well, here's, here's what I would just say. Seven or eight, maybe even nine years ago, uh, my family said, hey, we want to go see a movie together, and we're going to go see, we're looking around, I don't know what else is on, but I was probably thinking, let's go to see Rambo or something like that, and they're going, oh, we, we, we want to take you to go see a musical. It's like, awesome. All right, be a giver, Bruce. We're going to go see a musical, right? They said, it's Les Miserables. I said, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like Let Be Miserable is what it will be. But it actually was amazing, all right? It was an amazing, amazing movie. Now, it's been around a long time, and it had a bunch of different iterations of it, but the one I saw, you know, it had the Wolverine in it, so that was, that was cool as well. But the idea was, if you hadn't seen it, here's basically Les Miserables. It's about the big picture is the French Revolution. The small picture is about a guy named Jean Valjean. In the start of the movie, Jean Valjean is actually, he's a criminal. He's in, he's in prison. He gets out. He stumbles into the home of a priest, and the priest very kindly gives him food and water and shelter. But then in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean gets up and then starts to steal all this stuff from the priest's home. Just gathers it up and then sneaks out at night. Well, the next morning, these police, they drag in Jean Valjean because he'd been caught. And they drag him in front of the priest and they're like, this guy, this guy says that you gave him all this stuff, all right? 
And so all the priest has got to do, all he's got to do is say, he stole that from me. And Jean Valjean would go back to prison forever. But what the priest does shocks not only the police, but also it shocks Jean Valjean because he goes, he goes, that's exactly right. I gave him all that stuff. And as a matter of fact, Jean Valjean, I'm angry with you because you forgot these silver candlesticks. And he brings the silver candlesticks to him. It's like, these are worth 2,000 francs. Why didn't you remember those? Those would have been so much more. Well, the police uncuff him and they leave and they're just sitting there looking at each other. And then the priest looks at him and he's like, listen, listen, listen. You no longer, you no longer belong to evil. You belong to God now. And then go out there, go out there and show the mercy that has been shown to you. And so the whole movie is how Jean Valjean is the new man, how the mercy that showed him changed his life, and then he became a person who sought out people whom he could show mercy to as well. Now, loved ones, that's not the full gospel. The gospel is not somebody's nice to you, somebody buys your meal at a restaurant, and then you be nice to somebody else. That's not the gospel, all right? The gospel is that Jesus, that God showed you amazing kindness, that while you had stolen from him, while you and I were enemies, as we were estranged, in amazing kindness, he showed us mercy by sending Jesus to live the life he should have lived, die the death in your place, and then be risen from the grave, and that when you and I embrace him by faith, we're new people, we're new men and women. But from that has to come the understanding that the mercy that was shown to me, the grace that was shown to me, I am called to show that to other people. So here's what I want to kind of lay before you today before we jump into a pretty fun text, and it is this. God, not only, he wants you to look at you not only as a recipient of his grace, but also a carrier of his grace. Let me say it again. He wants you to look at you not only as a recipient of his grace, or his purpose, his life, his mercy, his love. all the, Not only look at yourself as a recipient of that, but also a carrier of his grace. And you might have come here and you're like, I'm hurting, and I came here for encouragement, and I came here saying, God, encourage me, guide me, show me, minister to me, and he will. But for some of us, the way that he's actually going to minister to you is by the way you minister to other people. And so here's where, here's where we are. We're talking about we want to love God and love our neighbor. And how does that look? So today we're going to actually look at a text that if you and I apply it, it provides so much more joy and satisfaction and even reward than we can even imagine, but it's not as glamorous as you might think. So here's the context before we jump into Luke 14. The context is this. There's a rich guy, and he's throwing a big party. And everybody's kind of jostling for position, Everybody's trying to get close and get the best seat. And so he kind of rebukes them. But then he gets into our chapter here, and and Jesus looks around this party, and he notices, hey, and this would be pretty awkward because he's saying it in front of everybody. He's like, hey, I'm noticing that you invited people to your party. The only people who I look around and see that are here are people who can pay you back. The only people I see at your party are your other rich friends are the people that were already close to you. And so here's the text that we're going to look at today. So here's Jesus' unsolicited advice to this man. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, the assumption is that you will. 
So when you give it, they're having a dinner, they're having a banquet, they're having a party. And he says, next time you do this, next time you do this, when you give a dinner, when you give a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor. These are the outcasts, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And I gotta, I'm going to read this slowly because we could actually spend all of our time on just verse 14. There's so much here, particularly the last part, but I wanted it to sink in. He says, if you do that, if you do that, here's what will happen. You will, you will be blessed. It's the word for happy. It's the word in Matthew 5, makarios, which means spiritually prosperous. You're like, how is he going to bless me? We'll get to that. You will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. And then even to amp it up a little bit more, he says, for you will be repaid. You'll re- be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Or in other words, I will repay you after you're dead. You're like, what is up with that? Well, let's kind of work through it a little bit. So here's where we are. We're talking about who's at your table uh, today. And when we look at this, again, it had to be awkward. Here's what he says. Big picture is he said, when you have a party, don't invite these people. (laughs) That would have been awesome. Yeah, I, I cannot find in the scripture, Jesus went to a lot of parties He went to a lot of meals. He went to a lot of banquets. I cannot find the record of when he went back a second time. All right, so he got invited to a ton. Apparently, he didn't get re-invited oftentimes. Maybe this is why. Because he's like, hey, next time you throw a party, don't invite these people. Don't invite these people. Why? Because the only reason you invite them is because they can reciprocate. The only reason you invited them is because you expect when they throw a dinner, they're going to invite you. Now, in Jewish culture, that was a place you did business. We kind of feel that way now a little bit, but back then, that was like economic suicide. When you had somebody at your table, that was a place to do business, that was a place to make deals, that was a place to network. And so Jesus is saying, listen, when you do that, don't invite these people who can pay you back, who can invite you to their dinner party. Instead, you invite people who can never pay you back. Now, I understand the context in which this is in. Some of you are like, what is it? The Bible talks about social graces and social manners. And No, I understand the big picture. The big picture is this is the prelude to what's called the parable of the great banquet, which starts in verse 15. And starts in verse 15, what he makes clear is, you know what, bottom line, you and I are the crippled. You and I are the poor. You and I are the blind. You and I are the lame. And the big picture, all right, it's the idea that God invited us into his banquet through the gospel, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus He invited us there. We didn't bring anything to the table, nothing we could add. He brought us into his kingdom. You see over and over again in this whole chapter, come, 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 come. If you're broken, come. If you're wandering, come. If you're afraid, come. If you're discouraged, come. If you're broken, come. If you have regrets, you come. That's the big, big picture. But also it says he wants us to see how he uses us to extend that invitation to others. Here's what I want you to get very firmly affixed in your mind. He wants you to look in the mirror and see that you play a vital role, you're a vital link in the story that he's writing in your neighbor's lives. Here's another way to put it. Here's a summary. People say, you know, you ought to be able to put down in your sermon in one sentence. They say, okay, every sermon ought to be able to put down in one sentence. Here's that one sentence. 
If I'm a follower of Jesus and I follow these commands and I follow his example, by the way, then I purposefully invite people into my life that are outside my normal circle of friends. Let me say it again. If I'm a follower of Jesus and I want to follow him, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have the rhythms of my life purposefully intersecting, inviting people into my life that are not on the inside. They're not in my normal circle of friends. You're like, what, what, what do you mean? You're not, am I not supposed to spend time with them? Again, that's not really what he's saying. You can kind of get that. He's not saying never hang out with these people. The Bible calls that fellowship. Those are your friends. Those are the people that sharpen you. Those are the people in your connect group a lot of times. That's who you do life with. And that's super important. You've got people around you that sharpen you, make you love the Lord more. That's called fellowship. The term, the biblical term for what he's describing here literally is hospitality. Now, hospitality, Martha Stewart ruined hospitality. Can I just say that? All right, when we think of hospitality, you think, I gotta have my Christmas tree perfect, I gotta have my pillows perfect, it's gotta be a spotless house, it's gotta be awesome. That's not hospitality in the Bible. Hospitality in the Bible literally means to love the stranger. It means to welcome the stranger. It means that I'm gonna purposefully have people that are not normally the part of the comfort level that I have I'm going to, in addition to my normal friends, I'm going to invite strangers to hang out with maybe my friends so they start to be our friends. Now, you see this throughout the Gospels. Classic example, Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Wee little man was he, okay? That guy was an outsider. He was like the epitome of an outsider. And Jesus ignored all the people, even all the people that wanted his time that he had a lot in common with, the religious people, but that's not what he did. He pinned in on Zacchaeus, and he's like, I'm going to your house today. I'd forgotten that the whole qualifications of being a pastor or an elder are that you are a hospitable person. It's not that you know what china goes where and what silver goes where. It means that you love the stranger. You purposefully intersect your life with people and welcome them with people who are not normally in your life. Now, before you think this is just a one-off in Scripture, here's a few other places. Romans 12 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Here's another one. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, Hebrews 13, 2, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You're like, what does that mean? I don't know, but doesn't it sound awesome? What it means is, it's like in some way, shape, or form, when I actually welcome a stranger into my life, it's like there's a chance that that's actually, he says it's an angel. It's like, what? Well, how does that work? I don't know, but it's cool. I mean, it's like, man, I could have done that and not even known it. So here's what it is, again. If that sounds unexciting, again, it's because hospitality has been hijacked by HGTV and it became about family and how we decorate and what kind of turkey we're going to have for the holidays. And that's not bad, but he's just, this is saying, don't do that. Don't do just that. So here's what it is for all of us. Doesn't mean you have to have a great home or a lot of money. Doesn't mean you got to be an extrovert. It doesn't mean you got to be choleric, type A, eight on the Enneagram, whatever. All it means is you just need to believe that God wants you to include strangers and outsiders into the rhythm of your life. That's all you got to believe. That I believe that God not only wants me to be a recipient of his grace and mercy and life and purpose, but he also wants me to be a carrier of his grace and mercy and life and purpose to those people that are around me. You're like, man, people don't want that at all. It is amazing. It is amazing how lonely people are right now. It's amazing. You're like, it's not amazing. I got these Facebook friends. It's like, I just, we are so 
connected and yet not connected. There's a book, probably the saddest title I've ever read. There's a book called Bowling Alone. For, I mean, bowling, first of all, if all you had a title was is bowling, that would be the saddest title, just bowling, okay? But bowling alone, bowling alone. It's a Harvard prof who did all these sociological statistics and showed how the whole idea is it used to be bowling leagues and you'd go in there and have camaraderie and all this fellowship. But he says now people don't, people don't bowl in leagues anymore. He said most of the time now they just go to the bowling alley and bowl alone. And then he threw some other stats out there that the number of people who play cards together down 25%. The number of people who go to taverns down 40%. The number of people that actually go into a sit-down restaurant are down 25%. The number of people who go to fast food restaurants is up 100%. Because it's like people are eating in their cars. It's like, I got to slam this Big Mac down before I get to the ball practice, and then I got to make it to the ballet practice. Having a neighbor over is down by a third. Having friends over to your home is down almost half. You're like, well, man, I don't know really how to do this. I mean, I'm kind of a, I'm like kind of a, oh, it's a little socially awkward, and I'm not like you that feels comfortable around people and blah, 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 blah. Listen, this is not about your personality mix, all right? This is about being a disciple. So how do I do that? All right, let me give you a couple of ways how, and let me give you three ways about why. First one is this, and this one's super simple. And it sounds simple, but it's really super important, and that is this. Welcome, and that's the word hospitality, welcome every single person that you meet. Now, I don't mean that every time a person comes into Starbucks and you're sitting there and you're like skippy, like, hey, buddy, hey, brother, don't be that guy, all right? That, don't, be, don't be that guy or don't be that girl. When I say welcome everybody you meet, it's the idea, for example, in the text it says when you have a banquet, and typically they'd have them in their home. So if you went to the Frank home right now, if you came to the Frank home, there's a welcome mat outside. Somebody gave it to us, a very nice welcome mat. Somebody gave it to us when we moved into our house a few years ago. All right, and so when you come up to our door and you ring the doorbell, you see a welcome mat, all right? What that is supposed to be saying is, you know what? We're glad you're here, all right? Welcome to our home. We want you to have an awesome time. This is about you. I am your host. You are my guest. It also means to wipe your feet, but, but mainly what it means is we're glad you're here. That's welcome. When our boys are smaller, when you might think this is old-fashioned. You might think this father knows best, but when our boys are small, one of the things we try to drill into them is when you meet somebody, when you meet somebody, you look them in the eye, you put your hand out to shake their hand, you tell them your name, and then you ask them theirs if they have not done it. You're like, well, that's what, what big is that? Do you know how important it is when people just, how do you feel when somebody just remembers your name? It's like, man, that person values me enough to actually to actually remember my name. Like, for example, after this service, like every service, I'll be in the lobby and I try to meet people, especially first-time guests. And when somebody comes up to me, it's like, hey, I'm Nancy or I'm, I'm Bill or whatever. In my head, just so you know what it is, in my head, I'm like, Bill, Bill, Bill. You're talking to me, but I'm going, Bill, 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 because I want to remember your name. I don't want to have to call you Big Ticket or, you know, hey, Scooter. I don't want to call you that. I want to call you Bill. That's what I want to call you. Why? Because that's your name. And that very small thing to say your bill means, you know what, I give a rip about you. That's a small way that says I actually, you're like, well, I can't get, I don't, I'm not good with names. Is that it? I know some of us are like gifted in that. And some of you are like, I know every single person in my connect group by name. I know their middle name. I know their social security number. I know you got that guy. I know you're that guy. Most of us aren't like that. Most of us, it takes a lot of concentration and care to actually say, you know what, Bill, 
Like, what, what is this, a Dale Carnegie course? No, it's not. Here's the idea. Listen, the idea is this. In a small way, that is saying, I value you as a person. Because here's what you gotta, you've gotta remember everyone that you meet, every neighbor that you have, every person that serves you food, Every person that swipes your gym membership when you go in to work out, every single person that you meet is made in the image of God, is loved by God Almighty. Every single person that you meet is eternal. You got to get that down. When I started thinking about this this week, every place I went, I was just trying to look at people. It's like, that person is going to live somewhere forever. Every person that you meet. So you gotta ask the question, ask yourself the question, do you see people like that? Do you see people like that? What he's trying to show in this text is this, don't be like a normal person who just cares for somebody because they can care back for them. Don't host somebody just because they can host you. Don't love somebody just because of what they're gonna reciprocate back to you. It's like, listen, the lost people act that way, but you're my sons and daughters. You're supposed to love people like I loved you. And so every person that you meet is eternal, made in the image of God. Jesus died for them. So you got to ask the question, when you have a waitress come and serve you, do you look at her as a soul? Do you see her as a human being? Do you see her as a person who made in the image of God? Do you see her as a person that has got a story that God wants to write a story of grace across her life? Or do you just see her as somebody who's going to fill your coffee cup? How about the teachers of your kids? When you pick them up, you just pick them up at day school or pick them up at elementary school or wherever. It's like, yeah, this is my teacher. All right. I don't really like her because she gave my kid a C and he probably deserved a B. No, he probably deserved a D and she showed grace and she gave you a C. But the idea is, do you see her as a soul, a person of infinite worth? It's like 50,000 times more important than anything else you could name is a person. And so here's the idea is uh, welcome everybody. You're like, I, don't, I can't do that. I'm not good at that. I'm, all you got to do is just care a little bit. Just eat it. I know I was hesitant. I was telling Lori, it's like, man, I don't want that kind of creeper guys that every once in a while we get some creepers here at the church. And you're like, I know you're gonna, I know you're gonna, you're gonna say, you should not call anybody creep. Listen, listen, if, if we have wolves show up, we shoot the wolves, all right? Bottom line, it's like we're supposed to protect our sheep. But bottom line, here's the idea. Bottom line is all you gotta do is care for somebody today and it stands out as countercultural. You understand that? It stands out as countercultural. Like, I'm going to be counterculture, I'm going to get a tattoo, or I'm going to wear my hat backwards, or whatever. You know what's counterculture? Caring for somebody. All you got to do is listen. When somebody says, I'm new here, I'm not from around here. We moved here from Florida. We moved here from Charlotte. You hear somebody at work go over here talking to their divorce lawyer. You know what? Bottom line is, you're God's woman right then in that case. The question is, is there some care there where you can actually step into that? You love the outsider. Ask some open-ended questions. Are you new here? Can I pray for you if you get to there? Uh, just love the outsider. Love the outsider, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You know the people he names in the text? They're not even allowed to go to church like back then. They could go like to half worship, but then they kicked them out for the rest of worship because they were considered outsiders. Here's what I know about you and I know about me. There's some people in your sphere of influence. It might be your neighborhood, might be your school, might be your work, might be your gym, might be whatever. 
I promise you, there are people there that if just a little bit of observation, you've noticed are also outsiders. And they're outsiders for a reason, maybe several reasons. Maybe they're socially awkward. Maybe they are new into town. They're the new kid at school sitting over there by himself or herself in the cafeteria. Maybe they're that guy in the neighborhood. You're like, yeah, he never does mow his yard. I'm about to call HOA on him, okay? Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. But maybe before you call HOA, you might be able to think, all right, what, what is the story around that guy? What is the story around that family? All I know is this, is when you look at the outsiders, Jesus would have moved toward those people, not away from those people. Over and over and over again in his ministry, he eats with people no one else will eat with. He is hospitable to the outsider. And then if you want to just look at the big picture, he moved toward you when you were the outsider. You were the outsider. I was the outsider. And we were not first-round draft choices. And he moved toward us, said, come in, eat at my banquet table. Here's what I've done for you. Just embrace it as a gift. And you're welcome as a son or a daughter. That's awesome. So what he says is, I want you to not just be a recipient of it. I want you to be a carrier of it. And here's another one. I didn't really know how to say this, but just open up your table. Open up your table. Open up your table. That's really, if you just take it at face value, here's what he says. At face value, he says, when you give a banquet or feast, I want you to invite, bum, 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 bum. I want you to invite the outsider. I want you to invite the people nobody else invites. So if you just take it at pure face value, if you don't make it a metaphor, if you just say this, let's just learn from him about how do we love our neighbor. What it means is this. It means at your actual table or at a table, the meals that you have, are you including the outsider? Are you including the outside? Here's what my challenge would be. is sometime before the holidays are over, it's sometime before January 1st comes along and we make all these New Year's resolutions, at some point, would you break bread? Would you share at least a cup of coffee with somebody who's outside your normal scope of friends that maybe other people don't want to actually have the coffee or meal with? They're the outsider. That's gonna look a bunch of different ways to a bunch of different people. All I'm saying is, when you look at the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was always going to meals. One scholar said he's either going to a meal, uh, eating a meal, or coming from a meal. And you're like, hey, that's a Jesus I can follow. That's awesome. All I'm saying is over and over and over again, significant moments happen around the table. Significant moments happen around the table. In Luke chapter 7, for example, there's a, a woman who had her shame removed and a Pharisee who got just put on the carpet. Another place he takes Zacchaeus, he goes home, he has a meal with Zacchaeus. The one that I love is is Luke chapter 5. There's a guy named Levi, and he throws a party after being called as a disciple. And listen to him. i got to be careful here because some of you all were a little bit nervous about last week. In Luke chapter 5, Levi throws a party very soon after he was called to be a disciple of Jesus. And you don't get any indication that Jesus hesitated for a second to actually go to that party. And the fact that the Pharisees was going to call him a drunkard and and a glutton, means it probably is a fairly good indication this was not like a potluck supper with a connect group, okay? This is probably not like, you know, Mountain Dew and cookies. I'm just saying that's what every appearance is, and he still went there. And that's why last week what I said was, when all these parties start to come around, attend your neighborhood holiday block parties or parties or whatever it is. Attend those. Now, I want to do one caveat, and I mean this seriously. The caveat is, If you can't handle the atmosphere at those parties, if your history and your past shows that when you go there, you shame the Lord, 
that when you go there, you can't handle it. The last time you went there, you hated what happened at that party, and you're not quite strong enough to go there and not shame the Lord and ruin your testimony, then I'm not talking about you, okay? At minimum, you take an accountability person with you. What I'm talking about is in a normal deal where your walk with God is pretty strong, attend those, attend those, go, talk, meet the new people. Now, again, don't, don't act like a fool at those parties. I mean, right now it's pretty cool. People are like, hey, cool Christians, you can go and just act like you want to at these parties. And it's like, that's not what the Bible said. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't go and act like everybody else at the party. He had a great time. But you can show people, you know what, you can have an awesome time with great joy and great frivolity without getting smashed drunk in your name in the newspaper the next day. You know what, you can say, I go there. As I said last week, you're not getting cooties if they have alcohol at the party, okay? Go. Here's what, here's what came to I was lost for 17 years. So you know what I didn't ever do? If somebody invited me to church and yet they wouldn't go to a party with me, chances were I wasn't going to their church. Because you're basically, you're too good to come to my social gathering. Why should I go what I perceived as their social gathering? And so uh, attend. Attend the block parties. Jesus apparently did. Here's one thing that you got to understand, though. Association with does not equal endorsement of. We are so bad at that in a social media age. And Christians, we're the worst. Man, we'll throw each other under the bus so quickly. Association with people does not equal endorsement or even involvement with everything going on. Association with means you all sometimes will get a little bit of pushback. Jesus got a little bit of pushback. You'll get a little bit of pushback. Bottom line, though, is who do you want to look more like? You want to look more like Jesus? You want to look more like the Pharisees? So I'm saying, I mean, when's the last time you came to church and the pastor stood up and said, party? That's what you need to do. God's call in your life is to go party. That is actually what I'm saying to do. Just party of the glory of God. All right? Party of the glory of God. Some of you are going to. Write me on that and just chapter and verse me, okay? Here's what I'm saying. If, if you don't want to go to one, then have one at your house. Have a party at your house. You set the menu. Have a party with food by the end of the year, but invite some people who at least visibly don't seem to be able to repay you. They're not people of influence. They're not people of affluence. They're not people who can help you get ahead. They're just people that God has put you with. Maybe it's your son's softball team or your son's baseball team, and you got like 15 little rugrats running around, and you're like, i got to have them over. And That's awesome. That's ministry. Man, go in there and fork out a couple of bucks if you got it. Get some inflatables. Get some big things. Let them have an awesome time. And by the way, you don't have to sit there, and as soon as they get through with playtime, stand up and sit them down here and preach to them. You don't have to do that, all right? You don't have to. Let me explain to you, there's a difference between an ulterior motive and an eternal motive. You understand that? Ulterior motives are basically this. I'm going to invite them over to my house. I don't really like them, but I know I'm supposed to share Christ with them. So I'm going to invite them over there, and then I've got them in a captive audience, and I'm going to spring my evangelism on them. That's an ulterior motive. And what I've learned is lost people can read that from a mile away. And if they don't read it immediately, they read it eventually. There's a difference between an ulterior motive, which is typically manipulative, and an eternal motive. The eternal motive, obviously, if you love that person, you love that person, you want them to hear the story of Jesus, you want to hear the story of grace and the way that God transformed your life. But the fact that it's eternal means that it's, if they're not showing any signs of liking any of this thing about Jesus, you don't cut them off, you still love them. I mean, thank God Jesus didn't close up shop the first time the gospel got shared with you and you rejected it. Man, I, I rejected the gospel probably two and a half years before I ever repented. I mean, thank God the people that were loving me did not say, that guy's a fool. We're going to go on to, listen, people, people are people. They're not projects. 
So look at them as people, not as a project that you've got to do, but as a person to love. And that'll like solve a ton of it. But you can open up your home and, and uh, here's, what you, here's what it's about. It's not about your perfection. I know ladies and, and men as well, when you have somebody over, you don't have to, I mean, if you can, do the best you can. If you're being hospitable, when people are over at our house, we do the best we can. We're as clean as we can be. But uh, Rosaria Butterfield has a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Great title, much better than bowling alone. But it's a great one. And one of the things she says is she's like, don't worry about the, don't worry about all the details. And well, we got cat fur on the sofa and all. That's an easy solution, by the way. I'm just saying, (laughs) don't have to worry about it all being perfect. You're like, why would I do that? Why would I, why would I do that? Because really what you're thinking about is you're just going to work with your dad. Some of y'all got to do that when you were a kid. You got to go to work with your dad or go to work with your mom. Remember how like, that's kind of a cool thing. Whatever they did was like big stuff, you know, big job. Whatever he or she did, that's like big stuff. And typically what happens is you joined along and then they gave you something to do. You know, write this. And, may, and you're like, this is big time. This is like big time work. I'm like helping in the accounting department or I'm helping do whatever. I'm helping grade these papers. This is like big time work. And you were excited about that. Here's what you got to get in mind. When it comes to what we're calling gospel-centered hospitality, All that is, is it's God's work, but your father wants you to go along and work with him. The way it might work is God says, hey, I'm I'm saving some folks in your neighborhood. I'm saving some folks at your office. I'm saving some folks at your school. I'm saving some folks in your area, right? And you're like, great, great, what do you want me to do? And he's like, well, for starters, you know those folks in the neighborhood who think that Christians are narrow-minded and bigoted and judgmental and they're irrelevant and all that stuff? Yeah, remember that one? I want you to invite them over. You remember that family that just doesn't seem to really fit in for whatever reason? Yeah, I want you to like throw a party for them. I want you to have a bunch of folks over, maybe even watch like a football game or the Astros win the World Series or whatever. I want you to do that. You're like, uh, I don't like, would you help me? He's like, yeah, you know what? As a matter of fact, I already told you I'd help you, all right? He said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And he says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. So of course I will help you. It's like, why should I do that? Why should I do that? Obvious reason would be this one. God's been hospitable to you. If you know Jesus this morning, The reason you do is because God welcomed you. God welcomed you. What's Romans chapter two say? It says that it was his repentance or it was his kindness that led you to repentance. Somehow, some way, God, for about 90% of us, took a person and through life and through hospitality and through love, God led you to himself. So God's hospitality to you in the gospel is the main reason that we understand that. We, We show our gratitude to the divine hospitality we've been shown by then showing gospel hospitality to other people. Look in verse 14, here's the second reason. It says, you'll be blessed. Now look, just look in, your, look in the Bible, because here's what the, I want you to see it in your Bible. Okay, so whether it's on your phone, or whether it's on your lap, or whatever. Verse 14 says, if you do this, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then it simply says this, and it says, and you will be blessed. You'll be blessed. The Greek word is makarios, which typically can be translated actually. People are like, it doesn't mean that. It actually does mean this. It actually means happy. That's more than happy. It's more than, hey, I had a good day. But it's a deep inner spiritual prosperity. It's like, this is awesome. You're like, okay, well, how's he going to bless me if I try to bless somebody less fortunate than me? How's he going to bless me? I don't know. Maybe he blesses your family because little Johnny, for the first time, sees you, hey, we're taking coats and all this backpack full of all this stuff in a scooter to a kid in Macon County and showing him that God loves him. 
And maybe all of a sudden, your little Johnny, that's like indelibly printed on his mind, in his soul, and it changes him. Maybe it just brings you and your wife closer together because you're actually doing ministry for somebody else instead of squabbling with how you're going to spend the next paycheck on stuff you don't really need. Maybe, it, maybe it's a financial blessing. Listen, we don't do health and wealth prosperity gospel. God is not a pinata that we hit and then all the money comes back, all right? You help somebody, God does not promise to give us a three-car garage with a couple of horses in the back and a Cadillac in the front. It's not in the Bible. What is in the Bible, though, is God does bless his kids, and sometimes that does actually get blessed financially. Now, as a parent, wouldn't you do the same thing? I mean, think about it. God's like a perfect parent. We're very flawed parents, but if you saw your kid... You send him off to school with lunch, and you find out that at, at lunchtime, he went over and sat with a kid that didn't have a lunch at all, took half his sandwich, tore it in two, gave the needy kid, gave him half a sandwich, took three out of his five cookies, gave it to the needy kid. When you hear about that as a dad, when you hear about that as a mom, how does that make you feel? Are you angry because he took the stuff and, no, you shouldn't have done or, or are you proud? And if you're like half a parent, you are so proud. I'm so proud of you for being generous and awesome. You gave away three of your Oreo cookies. Here's like a 50,000 Oreo cookies, all right? Have all the sugar you want, little Johnny, because we're so proud of you. That's what any parent would do. So at times, would God simply say, okay, you're a conduit Christian. You're not a cul-de-sac Christian. And so because I know you're going to use it to help some people I want to help, I'm going to actually bless you so you can bless others. That does happen. And then I'm going to give you one more, and then we got to quit uh, time-wise. And this, I'm just going to put this up there just to get you a little bit intrigued about it. There's a teaching in the Bible that is very rarely taught. If you want to go a little bit deeper, there's a great little book by Bruce Wilkinson called The Life God Rewards. So I'm going to give you that. You can, it's a good little book. But the text here, as well as many other texts in the New Testament, verse 14 says this. He says, if you do that, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And then it says, for you will be repaid at the resurrection, at the resurrection of the just. Now, repaid, some of you are like, well, that's not really what he means. It means something else. No, it actually does mean exactly what it, it means reward. It's the Greek word apodidomai, which means I'm going to repay the wage that you then spend on somebody else. You're like, what? I, I thought the whole thing was a gift and we got salvation, listen to me carefully. Generally speaking, this is taught in 1 Corinthians 3. This is taught in the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when men revile you and call you all sorts of names on my account, for such were the prophets before you. But then it says, you will be rewarded in heaven. So what does this clearly say? This says, you will be rewarded after you die. So how do, how do you reconcile that? What's the deal? Listen to me. Here's an easy way to remember it. What you believe... What you believe determines where you spend eternity. The Bible teaches this. What you believe, do I believe that Jesus lived the life I was supposed to live, died in my place, rose from the grave, and through repentance and faith, what I believe about Jesus determines where I spend eternity. That's all through the Bible. If you're a Christian, what you've got to understand is how you behave determines, in many cases, how you spend eternity. What you believe, where, how you behave, how you spend eternity. Some of us don't even like that because you don't even understand what heaven's like. Heaven to you is boring. 
When you think of heaven, you think of sitting on some cloud with a crazy looking robe on with a harp in your hand and it's boring. I wouldn't want to go there either, okay? I don't even like the harp and I'm not going to wear a robe. The whole point is this. That's not what heaven's like. The Bible does not describe heaven like some ethereal kind of walking around. Heaven is like a perfect recreation. Everything that you see now is like a billion times better in heaven. Heaven is not some place where you don't have anything to do and you just sit around singing songs. That's not heaven. Heaven has responsibilities. Heaven has rewards. Heaven has, you're like, what exactly does that look like? I don't know. But doesn't it sound awesome that God Almighty will reward you in heaven? Here's what that means for us. That means every little thing you do. That means every little child that you help. That means every time you dig in a little bit, and maybe you do bless us. Again, we got a long way to go. We got a thousand kids we got to sponsor, okay? 150 bucks a pop. I understand that's a huge deal for some of you. I understand also that's not a big deal for a lot of us as well. All I'm saying is whether it's a little thing, like volunteering at down at Western Carolina Rescue Mission, whether that be going to the prison revival this past week, Whatever that is, he doesn't miss any of it. There's not one thing that you do. There's not one ministry that you help. There's not one dollar that you give. There's not one tiny thing that he misses at all. So you know what that does mean, though, also? If that's the case, what I'm trying, what I've got to, what I've got to understand is what I sacrifice down here will be abundantly repaid in heaven. So, again, i got to ask this. Do you actually believe that? Do you believe verse 14 that says, I will be repaid at the resurrection if I leverage my life to bless people who cannot pay me back? Now, I would be honest, if we actually believe that and the implications of that, that's revolutionary. That means really it's not that fancy, it's not even that glamorous, it's just doing it all the time, day after day, with a mindset that says, God has blessed me to bless others. And some of you are discouraged because you've got that neighbor, you got that brother, you got that person you've been praying for for so long, and you kind of hit a drought, and sometimes they actually seem further away from the Lord than when you started praying for them last month or last year. What you got to understand is just don't give up, all right? Keep on loving, keep on ministering, keep on serving. Um. Real quick story, back, back in 1995, there was a, on some cases, an inconsequential baseball game that was played between the Angels and the Orioles in Camden Yards in Baltimore, Maryland. But millions and millions of people tuned in, one of the most watched games ever. The place was packed out with people screaming. And the only reason was, the only reason that happened, there's a guy that was about to break one of the most cherished sports records of all time, and that was the consecutive games played without missing one game. His name is Kyle Ripken Jr. And he was about to break a guy that was known like as the Iron Man, a guy named Lou Gehrig, who had played like, I can't remember the exact number, like 2,100 some odd games in a row without ever missing. And so what happened there is when he got past the fifth inning and all of a sudden it was a quote official game, they stopped the game and, Lou, and uh, Kyle Ripken Jr. just came out there and they just were standing and applauding and applauding. It was like a big deal. But then he tried to go into the dugout. I don't want that all stuff. And his teammates pushed him out. Finally, he has to do a lap around Camden Yards while people stood and did a standing ovation for 22 minutes. 22 minutes. What are they applauding? Not a home run, not a grand slam. 
our World Series title, they're applauding a person who just stood up, came to work every day, and just did his job. And as a church member, as a Christ follower, that's all God's asking of us. Listen, just show up each day. Understand, you go out and you're on mission. It's not always going to be these awesome days where you lead your boss to Christ. Sometimes there's like, man, I want to quit, and you're discouraged, and I'm not seeing any movement, and I don't even want to go, and I don't want to pray anymore. Sometimes it's like that. It's just just do your job. Just keep on doing it. Keep on loving. Keep on serving. He says there will be a time. There will be a time. And, I mean, 22-minute standing ovation by 48,000 folks in a baseball game, that sounds pretty cool. That sounds like crazy, bad, horrible. That's like a... That's just terrible compared to the God of the universe. Like, hey, my son, you did an awesome job. Because here's what I know. Up in heaven, you might regret some things. You might regret, and you know, you know, I regret watching like all those Netflix series. I mean, it's just not a great use of my time. Or you know, I regret, I regret that. You know what you won't regret? You will not regret. We will not regret as a church. We will not regret investing, leveraging whatever God's given us for people who cannot, at least on this earth, ever pay us back. 